0: Well, I'm excited to be with you. Uh, My name is Nick Ranieri. I live in Long Beach, California. I I get to serve as a pastor in Long Beach. Uh, I was here about a year ago. Uh, Some of you, I feel like I'm seeing some familiar faces. Not really, I can barely see you. But uh, maybe you recognize me. I was here about a year ago. I'm excited to be back. Um, If some of you may remember, we have kind of a church connection. Uh, For the last 10 years, I've been serving as a pastor at a church called First Baptist Church of Lakewood in Long Beach, which has some rich connections uh, to Camarillo community. Um, it now goes by Arbor Road Church. And uh, yes, some, somebody's a fan. I love it. Very nice. Awesome. And uh, we have been there, my wife and I, and my wife is here, we've been there for about the last 10 years. Um, and a, a, little, a couple months before I came last time, I came last June here, and a couple months before that, um, my wife and I really felt the Lord just kind of stirring in our hearts to, to seek Him and pray about what He has next for us. Um, and just kind of had a moment where we went to the Lord with, with open hands and kind of this scary moment of like, God, for some reason, I, I feel like you're calling us to pray and ask you, um, what do you have for us with open hands? Like, we'll do anything, anywhere. We don't want to leave where we're at because we love this place. Um, and what we really sensed the Lord doing was just um, calling us to, to church planting and so starting more churches actually throughout the city of Long Beach. Um, It's a city that we love. It's a city, if you're familiar with it, that's really big. It's about almost 500,000 people in the city of Long Beach, and we do not have nearly enough churches to reach those people, and so we just felt the Lord burdening our hearts to to plant a church that plants more churches and to continue to partner with the great gospel work that God is doing through other great churches like Arbor Road Church, Um, and so just about a couple months ago, about two months ago, my wife and I officially stepped out from Arbor Road and are now beginning the process of preparing to plant a new church in Long Beach. And we're really excited about that. And wanted to share that with you because now that I'm here for the second time, I feel like we're, we're connected. We, we're family. We're, we're in this together. So I want to share that with you. I would love your prayers on that. Um, it is not an easy journey. We've already felt um, the enemy does not want us to do this. Um, and yet we have seen the Lord just abundantly provide and with us every step of the way, and it's an exciting journey. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Galatians chapter 3, as we continue our series uh, in the book of Galatians. And we're going to be in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read it for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump on in. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. says this, O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having been perfected, having having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you, does he he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Like we just saying, you are our living hope. God, any hope that we place in anything but you is a dead hope. So God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would show us Jesus. God, we are tempted to believe that we are strong, we can do it. Yet, God, the truth is we are weak and we need you. Would you meet us here this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, something you got to know about my family, some, a lot of people don't like this, but my family, uh, we are massive fans of the New York Yankees. That is, wow, I got a yes. That's so rare. Usually everyone boos because they're jealous. I understand. We have a lot of championships. We have the best record in baseball, all that. I understand. Uh, but my, my family is a huge fan of the New York Yankees. My, my father, he, uh, he's from New York. He grew up in New York, and so it's just how we were raised. I think it's just how the Lord predestined us um, to be Yankee fans. Um, so we're huge fans. We watch so many of the games. We love it. This is an exciting year. But uh, just, a, just about a month ago, I had my cousin out from the East Coast, and, and we don't really agree on sports teams. And I went out of town for about a week, and my cousin kind of took it upon himself to, uh, to kind of reteach my four-year-old son uh, who to root for in baseball. And so he, uh, he comes down here, and he starts talking all about the Los Angeles Angels. And he starts, you know, showing, yeah, there he is. starts showing him, like, uh, YouTube videos of, of their center fielder, Mike Trout, who's a great baseball player, and showing him all these videos. And takes him to a baseball game. Which, like, for a four-year-old, man, you just, like, won their heart, right? You take him to a baseball game. He's, like, trying to get down to get autographs and showing him all the players and bought him, like, a Mike Trout baseball bat and a backpack and, and all this stuff. And so I get home from my trip, and I see my son, and I look at him, and he's just talking about the Los Angeles Angels, how they're the best team in baseball, how they're better than the Yankees, how all their players are better than the Yankees players. And I look at him, and I say, who are you? It was like, I mean, I was so like dumbfounded to look at my son and be like, what ha- how can you not see so clearly the error of what you're saying? And so immediately, as soon as my cousin left, I sat my son down, and we spent the next like three hours reteaching him the truth. All right, we watched more YouTube videos. I started giving them the history. I was like, Do you know what championships are? We have a lot of those, okay? And I retaught him and reindoctrinated him with the truth. But I look at a moment like that and I'm reminded that, that we are so easily led astray. Now, you might be an Angels fan and you think, that's not led astray. That was led to the truth. Regardless, whatever. In my mind, I look at that and I say, man, we are so easily led astray. Even from things that are, that are really obvious to us. Like in our family, that the Yankees are the best. That's obvious. But we are really easily led astray. Don't forget that the Bible calls us sheep, right? In a lot of ways, that's good. But in a lot of ways, it also shows us, hey, we're not very smart. We kind of will listen to a lot of different voices and go in a lot of different directions. We're easily deceived. And in our passage today, as we continue in Galatians, we see that the Christians living in Galatia had been greatly deceived from something that was very obvious, they were deceived into no longer seeing the significance of the cross. You see, they're a church and a people that, that love Jesus, they know the gospel, right? They know that the, the truth that we are saved by grace through faith. That this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. They knew that truth, they knew the gospel, and yet they had been deceived. They had been deceived to the point where they're they're, they're recognizing that, but then they're moving on to something else. They started to believe something that Paul will say actually devalues the cross and diminishes it of its power. And the best word he can use to describe what has happened is the word bewitched. You see it here in in verse 1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I don't use that word very often. So I kind of looked it up. What what does that mean, bewitched? It's it's essentially this idea to exercise evil power over someone. To put someone under a spell, intending them harm. It was often used in this way, in the sense of being under a spell so that someone could no longer think or reason clearly. And Paul looks at the situation that's happening in this church and he says, your, your abandoning of the cross is so dumbfounding to me that the only explanation I have is that someone has put you under a spell. Like you are, you are, so, you are so abandoning something so clear that I, I don't even have the categories to understand what's happening. Someone has bewitched you. And so he says, oh foolish Galatians. Imagine someone standing up here and and saying, Oh foolish, what do we call you guys? Cam C. Sears, is that good? Oh foolish Cam C. Sears or oh foolish Camarilloans. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, I have nothing. He's, He's just, this is unbelievable to him. Here's what's happening. Verse He says, who has bewitched you? And then he immediately goes to the cross. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's what's happening. The people in this church believe that Jesus saved them through the cross. That's not really up for debate. They believe that they're saved by grace, through faith, but they had begun, at at some point, they began to move on from that truth. Yes, the cross is how we got in, is what they would say. But our effort and our works is how we grow ourselves in the Christian faith. That's what they had started to believe, that the cross is how we're saved But our good deeds and our morality is how we are perfected. And essentially, they're saying this the cross is enough to save me, but it is insufficient to mature me and sustain me. Jesus got me in, but my works keep me in. That's what this church had begun to think. I remember my very first job that, that, I, that I ever had. I, I really didn't deserve to get the job. Uh, I, I got it right at the tail end of high school. And the only reason why I got this job was because of uh, my wife, who I was dating at the time. So she was my girlfriend. Uh, and the only reason I got this job was because of her and the kindness of her father. Her father owned a production company and uh, they, they would produce TV shows and commercials and movies and all these sort of things. And I don't have any experience in that. I'm not even particularly good at that. I've never worked in a production company. I'm like 17 years old. But I needed a job and I needed to make some money. And so out of the kindness of his heart, my wife's father, now my father-in-law, just gave me this job. It was, it was, I did not deserve it. It was purely by his grace. And yet the moment that I got into the job... I started to come under the thinking, okay, I, I know I, I don't deserve to have this job, but I better work my tail off to prove myself in this job. I better work hard to show that I belong here, uh, that I should stay here, that I should that, I, that, that I'm talented at this, that I, that I have a future in this. I, I gotta work hard. Sure enough one day I was working on a computer on some footage on a hard drive and uh, All of a sudden, I realized, where did all the footage go on this hard drive? And I'm like clicking around. I'm trying to find it and reformat. Sure, yes. And all of a sudden, I can't find any footage on this hard drive because I've accidentally deleted all of it. And so now you can imagine my horror that I have to walk into the office of my boss. No, no. I have to walk into the office of my girlfriend's father and tell him, I accidentally deleted all of that footage that you needed to make this TV show. It was, the, oh, it was the worst. I still feel so bad about that. He was so gracious to me in that moment. But I think sometimes we can think about the Christian faith like that situation. Where it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we got in based off of someone else's name, someone else's merit. By the name of Jesus, by his grace alone. But now that I'm in, I better work hard to prove that I belong. I better improve myself every day so that I can show Jesus and show others that I deserve to be in the faith. This is what they were thinking in the church of Galatia. Yes, Jesus is grace alone, by faith alone. It's amazing. But now that we're in, we got to stay on our toes. We better work hard. We better improve ourselves if we wanna grow. This is moving on from the gospel of grace. Desiring to grow and desiring to walk in obedience are not bad things, but we tend to take good things and turn them into ultimate things and then they become idols. And that's what's happening here in this church. And Paul says, when you do that, you nullify the cross of Christ. And we are very susceptible to this bewitching too. It's not just people a long time ago, it's us today. I wanna to look at a few ways in which I think we are often bewitched. Two of them that are pretty obvious, two of them that may be not so obvious. One is we are often bewitched by Satan, he's our enemy. Listen, there's no one in this world that wants to diminish your view of the cross more than him. That's his primary strategy in your life, to diminish your view of the cross. Because if he can do that, he's got you. He wants to diminish your view of the cross. And so Satan will often try to bewitch us so that we don't view the cross as significant or as important anymore. And I think there's a main way that he does this in our lives. And it's through accusation. That's what his name means. He's the accuser. Maybe you've experienced this before. You, you know the gospel, you know, you know the truth that, that, that we've been singing, that you are forgiven, that, that he took your shame, that he took your guilt, that you are cleansed, that you are free. And yet there seems to be this lingering voice that continues to accuse you and remind you of things that you've done. You know that voice I'm talking about? That causes you to diminish your view of the cross, Cripples us with guilt and in doing so keeps us from experiencing the power of the cross. The freedom of the cross. The new identity of the cross. And as he keeps accusing us day by day by day, we start to believe this message that my identity is based off of what I do. And not what Jesus has done. And it happens slowly and all of a sudden Our view of the cross is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That's one way I think it happens. The other one is this, culture. Culture is constantly discipling you. Constantly teaching you how to think. And here's what our culture likes to tell us how to think. You need to prove yourself. You need to work hard. You need to secure your own glory in this world. No one's going to do it for you. So go out there and prove yourself. Be self-dependent. And that message can get so into our minds and into our hearts and into our schedules that we start to think about the Christian life like that. To say, well, I guess growth in the Christian life is becoming more and more self-dependent, more and more independent. I need God's grace and forgiveness less and less and less because I'm working harder and getting better. Do you see how that would diminish your view of the cross? To say, I needed it way back then when I was like a, a, a